On today's episode of Dance Med Spotlight, my guest is Ricky Lee Hotz. She is a registered dietitian and professional ballroom dance competitor and instructor. In this episode, we talk about things like food as fuel and what that truly means for us in the dance world. We discuss how we support our bodies on different days, depending on what activity we're doing or even how we're recovering from an injury, for example. We talk about the aesthetic of the dancer's body and how that idea is changing, how we can still continue to support our body for performance above all. And then we also discuss for our providers out there, things that we can be looking for and paying attention to that might trigger a referral to a registered dietitian. Check out all of this and more in today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Dance Med Spotlight, where we talk about all things dance medicine and dance science. Today, I have a fabulous guest with me, Ricky Lee Hotz, who is a registered dietitian and professional ballroom dance competitor and instructor. Welcome, Ricky. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. One thing I always like to ask people to kind of kick us off is tell me about your journey of what got you to where you're at doing this combination of dancing as a professional and being a registered dietitian? Yeah. So I have, I have quite a journey. I feel like a lot of my life in both my professional field as a dancer, as well as my professional field as a dietitian really worked together in the process of becoming who I am. So, um, I did gymnastics until I was 16 years old. And at that point, I decided, you know, my body is not at a place where I can push myself to continue in gymnastics just because the injury levels are so high. And that mental and physical commitment was was hard on my body and my body wasn't there anymore. And so I decided to leave that sport, which was really challenging because it was my life for, you know, most of my most of my childhood. And so you know, after that, I was trying to find what I wanted to do. And I was always a competitive person. I always wanted to train. I always wanted to do something to push my body. And I watched So You Think You Can Dance, like many of us have over the years. And I saw ballroom dancing for the first time. And that for me was this big eye-opening thing where, you know, you didn't necessarily have to start at three years old or five years old to be successful. And so at 16 years old, I took my first dance lesson and I never walked off the floor. And that was, you know, super exciting. I remember I had old teammates that would say, you're such a bad dancer, all of these things when I was a gymnast. And so for me, it was also a little like, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. And, you know, I, I was able to do that, which is pretty cool. And then flipping over to the nutrition side is, you know, growing up, there are a lot of factors that I would say drew me toward nutrition. There's a lot in my family, a lot of challenges around food in terms of food allergies, food sensitivities, uh, celiac disease, things like that, that, you know, got me really interested in, okay, how do you fuel your body when you have these challenges that are restricting certain food intake. And so that was one thing that definitely drew me toward nutrition, as well as, you know, my own personal experiences, being a gymnast, being a dancer, people really talk a lot about how your body needs to look and all of these things. And for me, you know, that that was a really challenging thought process because I didn't necessarily have the ideal body at all times. And, you know, I had to really work through understanding food as a proper fueling source and the necessity and the positives of food as opposed to food just being this demonizing thing that puts your body in a place that you don't want it to be for a certain look. And mm-hmm. so for me, that was also a motivating factor is, you know, how can we work away from this mindset of, you know, food is this bad thing and we need to look a certain way to be successful as opposed to how can I provide the necessary fuel for my body to perform as well as possible and to be at a place where I can enjoy food and I can perform well and my body is going to be who my body is going to be. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I maybe didn't 
in the time of developing those thoughts and going to school for nutrition, I maybe didn't totally understand that that's what my thought process was. But as I went through my undergrad in nutrition, my master's, my dietetic internship, you know, all of those things started to fall into place for me. And so as I became a dietitian out of school, you know, at that point, I was still what they call a pro-am competitor as an amateur. So I was a student and there were the professional partner that I had as a student competitor. And I really wanted to pursue a professional career in ballroom dancing. Mm -hmm. And so during that time, I was working to build up my practice as a dietitian and I was looking for a professional partner. And eventually I found a professional partnership and I latched onto that and rode from there. And so I, I've been competing professionally uh, for a little bit over six years now. And I had one partnership that was that kind of the first six years of that process. And now I have recently moved from Denver to Minneapolis. I have a new environment and I have a new professional partner in Boston. So I'm commuting back and forth for that partnership, as well as continuing to provide nutrition care for my clients. So I'm really melding those lifestyles together to, to be able to enjoy and express my love of dancing, as well as my love for health and nutrition and combining those things together. One thing that you mentioned that I want to go back to that I think is a really important concept is this idea of food as fuel for our body mm -hmm. and not demonizing it or saying that food is bad or that kind of thing. I know, you know, even movies like Center Stage, one of the girls eats a slice of pizza and then, you know she punishes herself for it later. Or there are different things where I've heard dancers say that their ballet mistress had told them, I can tell that you ate too much for breakfast this morning. You need to, you know, whatever. So it unfortunately has been a really common thing in the dance world. I think regardless of what genre of dance you're doing, um, but hopefully is changing. Talk to us a bit about this idea of food as fuel. Absolutely. So food as fuel is a very interesting concept because a lot of the time we go back to this phrase that was very popular for a while, eat to live or live to eat. And a lot of people associate this concept of food as fuel toward only eating to live. And I also disagree with that concept because mm -hmm. while food is fuel for my body, it is also part of our social dynamics. It's also part of culture. It's also part of society. And so if I only eat for the purpose of, you know, this is fuel to put into my body and I can't enjoy a slice of pizza because it's not as good of fuel as that other fuel, then that's also not healthy. So when I think of food as fuel, I'm thinking of both emotional and physical. So I'm thinking about, you know, if I eat, say, a slice of pizza, since we've been using that example, I'm thinking about, you know, that has components of protein, carbohydrates, fat. If you throw some vegetables on there, you got some vegetables too. And it has actually a lot of nutrients. Is it, you know, something that we want as maybe our primary or all the time fuel source? Maybe not because it's higher in certain things like saturated fats, which we need a little bit less of. And, you know, so it's something that I look at specific foods is I think of them as more often and less often foods. Mm -hmm. And so these are kind of more often foods are my staples, the things that are going to be my fuel for my day to day, my survival, what's going to make my body feel good, allow me to perform appropriately. Whereas my less often foods are maybe my foods that I really enjoy and they're fun parts of life that I want to be able to include, but they're maybe not my primary source that I'm relying on for my fuel, although it is providing a, so a source of fuel in the process. Mm -hmm. I think that all is such a good uh, delineation of, of some of that where it's like, you know, it doesn't have to be clean eating 24 seven, or it doesn't need to be, you're just eating vegetables. Mm -hmm. I know sometimes when I'm even just chatting with some of my dancers, they will talk about what they eat. And it's, mm -hmm. you know, for breakfast, I had half a plain bagel and then I don't eat again until 
late afternoon when I've done dance for six hours and Mm -hmm. all of these different things. And one of the conversations we have is for your body to function well, for your muscles to work well, you need a certain amount of calories and nutrients in your body throughout the day, Mm -hmm. not just these little tiny pockets of things either. What are some things dancers may be should understand about fueling throughout maybe a normal day mm-hmm. and maybe during like a competition day, something where they're, it's a very different kind of schedule and push. Absolutely. So, you know, when you're training hard, something I always, especially my teenagers, my adults as well, but my teenagers who are in a ballet studio or a mixed dancing style studio and they're training six hours a day or my professional ballroom competitor training six hours a day, you know, whatever that structure is, when you're really pushing it, you have to understand that you need sustenance to be able to push it. (laughs) And eating half a bagel that's plain might get me through 30 minutes of that. (laughs) But from there, I'm going to crash. And so I really like to think about my main focus is making sure that every time I'm eating, I have some semblance of balance. So I want to be able to say, okay, say I want to do that half a bagel in the morning because, you know, before dance, I don't necessarily want to have a super full stomach. I don't want to feel like everything's sitting in my system, which is totally understandable. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm going to do half that bagel and I'm going to put a tablespoon of peanut butter on there. And now I'm getting a fat and a protein component. And I've got a little bit more that's going to last my body longer. So that what would normally last me maybe half an hour to an hour is now going to last me maybe two hours or three hours, depending on the volume that we're eating. And so, you know, by slowing down that digestive process with balance and having things from different food groups, What that allows our body to do is use all those different components together to now create a process where our body is working efficiently. And that's what we want. We want our body to be able to give us energy when we need that energy and to be able to sustain dancing, whether it's an hour, whether it's five hours, whether it's six hours, whether it's all day. And so in that process, I generally like to say, you know, on a normal day, you know, say we've got a couple hours of dancing, we're not pushing through like a convention day or a competition Mm -hmm. day. I generally look at eating something every three to five hours. I like to err on the side of three hours when we're really being active. Mm -hmm. And that way, you know, and when I say every three to five hours, I'm not saying a whole meal at that time. I'm saying, you know, probably do a meal, then a snack, then a meal, then a snack, then a meal, and kind of dividing it up. So essentially, you're allowing your blood sugar to stay a little more stabilized as opposed to having your blood sugar kind of do this when you're feeling that, like if anyone's ever experienced that, man, I'm just not thinking straight or I'm trying to learn choreography and I'm just like, my brain's not picking it up the way I need to compared to normal. A lot of the time, we're just having that crash where our body's like, I just need a little bit of fuel to to be able to focus and keep going. So mm-hmm. that's kind of my focus for a normal day is kind of meal, snack, meal, snack, meal, snack, trying to keep it in like a three-ish hour range. Obviously, it's different. It's different depending on the individual. So, you know, that's generic advice. But if your body is different and you're in a different environment, that's what you work with a dietitian on is to develop your specific schedule for you. Mm -hmm. Um, In that process though, whenever I have a meal, I like to make sure I have my carbohydrate component, my protein component, and my fat component. Bonus if I can get vegetables in. I always say, you know, breakfast is kind of a, you know, if you're having oatmeal, you probably don't want to have cucumbers with it. Um, <laughs> but if you're having an omelet or you're making something with eggs, it's an easy thing. You can throw some spinach or some peppers or something like that in there to get some of those extra micronutrients. Mm-hmm. Definitely say, if possible, get some veggies in at lunch and dinner. Now, when we're looking at competition or convention days or days you know, where we're in the studio all day, where we're pushing, we're training, we're competing, 
I tend to shift that structure a little bit. So generally at that point, I'm going to shift it to trying to say, even potentially getting something in every two hours. And at that point, that every two hours may not look like meal, snack, meal, snack, meal, snack, because when you're in the middle of a competition day, you're not going to go and sit and eat a full lunch. It's just not going to happen. But if you can eat a good breakfast before you start your day, that's at least balanced. And in that manner, when I'm saying a balanced breakfast, it doesn't even necessarily have to be like, you know, high fiber grains and, you know, super quality meat or anything like that, because that might not feel good in your system. Sometimes you need a simpler meal. So sometimes maybe you're going to have some fruit and you're going to maybe have an egg and that might be a comfortable breakfast for you to get your day going or even like a, you know, not to mention brands, but like a Starbucks breakfast sandwich, right? You know, that's mm -hmm. where if you're at a hotel, that's something most of the time you can find if you need to grab something. Right. And so that's a way to kind of start your day to get something in your system. And then throughout the day, I recommend having small snacks at those two hour components. So whenever I talk about a snack, generally I want to see a protein component and a carbohydrate component. So that in any scenario. So I'm going to look at, for example, in the middle of dancing, I might do a handful of trail mix and there's a snack. All I need are some nuts, some dried fruit, and I'm good. And that's something that's not going to jostle around in your system. It's not going to make you feel like, ugh, now I have to go dance. It's just something you can throw in your system, get going, and then now you've at least provided your body with a source of fuel that can just keep you moving throughout the course of the day. Mm -hmm. Another good point that I think you make there is, you know, sometimes when we're in these competition convention days, if we're traveling, finding the best food options or, you know, ideal food options can sometimes be a challenge. Yes. People definitely get creative with it. I know for myself, because I also try to be careful with things like gluten and dairy and that sort of thing. Yeah. A lot of times I'll pack protein bars that I know work for me and travel with those and then supplement with things that I can find. I know I have friends who they will bring a uh, instant pot and go to the grocery store and make something that they can just kind of pull from throughout the weekend and make whatever works for their diet. Are there any things, any recommendations, tips, tricks that you have for people who maybe have a little bit more challenge finding food because of dietary needs? Yes. So that can be a huge challenge. I'm someone personally that has a lot of food sensitivities, dietary needs. Like I had kind of alluded to earlier, I'm that was part of the reason that I, why I got interested in nutrition is because, you know, I, I couldn't eat the way other people could eat. And I really wanted to still be able to have food as a, as a reasonable part of my life and not make it this terrible, challenging thing all the time. Yeah. And so, you know, for me, when I travel, if I'm going to a competition, I definitely, I use that same trick as you. I have my protein bars that I know are my go-tos and those are always there just in case. So say there's no way I'm going to get breakfast. I at least have a protein bar or something to get in my system as opposed to just choosing not to eat. Um, a lot of the time at like the complimentary breakfasts, if you can have fruit or you can tolerate those types of things, you can at least get some fruit and maybe like some cereal or something like that. Uh, maybe you can Protein can be kind of hard. A lot of the time they have eggs. Uh, if you're vegan, then that becomes a little more of a challenge. Maybe you can find a peanut butter or something like that. A lot of the times there's also brands where you can get single serving either peanut butter, almond butter, nut butter packets that you can bring with you. That's always a really good, easy on-the-go protein source when you're trying to mix in with something, if you can get like an oatmeal packet at breakfast or something like that. Uh, I am also someone that is not afraid to ask for alterations from restaurants. So, you know, they may not have it on the menu, but there might be somewhere that looks like maybe they have an ingredient I can have. So say, you know, rice is a staple for me. 
I can find at maybe 60% of restaurants and be like, hey, can you just give me like a chicken breast and some rice? <laughs> and mm -hmm. as long as they're not, you know, totally rice-free, I can normally get something like that, or I can get some potatoes, or I can get something. So you can always ask for something to be altered or adjusted if it's at a restaurant. I'm also a big fan of doing, you know, food delivery to where you're at. So find a restaurant nearby that has something you know you can have and you feel feels good on your body and order it. You know, it's way easier sometimes to do that than to just try and ground around with whatever's there. The other thing you can do is you can always do grocery orders. And again, these are things assuming you can't physically get to a store or you can't physically get to a restaurant because of time constraints or because of, you know, travel limitations or things like that. So, mm -hmm. you know, I have clients where I'll say, make a list of the things you want to order when you get there, because maybe you can't bring those on the plane with you, you know, order your yogurt, order your, you know, your special fruit that you like, and then bring your protein supplement or vice versa. Not too many people are committed enough to maybe say bring an instant pot or things like that with them. You know, you may not be able to cook and that's totally fine if you feel like that's not something that you're capable of in that environment. But you can at least get items that are non-cooked based. You can make a sandwich, you can make a wrap, you can make a salad, you can make some of those things that make it a little bit easier. I always, because mm -hmm. I mentioned salads, it's something for people that have some like digestive sensitivities. I always say be cautious with salads when it comes to competition environments, because a lot of the time when we go super high fiber, our system has to work harder to process that. And just because it's healthy doesn't mean it's going to feel good when we're going to go to dance. Mm -hmm. I know I can, like, I don't eat vegetables on competition days. And that ver sounds very counterintuitive because you're like, well, vegetables are healthy and light. And But for me, if I eat a plate of vegetables or a salad and then I go to dance, I feel super bloated. I feel super uncomfortable. And so, you know, I'm going to just have a grain and a protein. And that's mm -hmm. where I'm going to feel good. And then I'll maybe have my vegetables after I'm done dancing or the next day. And so that's, I think, another thing that people need to be okay with knowing that they can adjust and you don't have to have what looks like a perfect plate in a different environment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's maybe kind of shift gears a little bit. And let's talk about going back to a topic you mentioned early on, this idea of sort of the aesthetic of the dancer and how we can work with that whole idea. Absolutely. So it's very hard because there's multiple roles being played when it comes to the aesthetic of the dancer. There's the dancer's mindset of what the aesthetic of the dancer should be. There's the teacher's or the coach's mindsets. There's the judge's mindsets and there's the teammate's mindsets. And so sometimes you may feel confident in your body as a dancer, but then a judge is telling you otherwise or a coach is telling you otherwise. Or maybe coaches and judges are being really body affirming and you know things are changing now but you don't feel good in your body. And there's so many elements that that aesthetic can come from. And it's, it's a challenge. And sometimes you have to be able to figure out, am I doing the best I can with taking care of myself? And if I am doing that, what my body is is what my body is. And I can prove to these other people, even if maybe they don't think I have the ideal body, or maybe I don't think I have the ideal body, but I'm doing the best I can with what I've got, that I'm just going to be better. And I think that that's something where hopefully the world is continuing to improve, but I know it's a slow process that mm -hmm. people will become more accepting and they will understand that everyone has a different body and a different build and you don't have to be stick thin to be a beautiful dancer. I mean, I think one of the first dancers out there that maybe, I mean, 
has a beautiful body, but maybe didn't have the classic aesthetic of a ballet dancer is Misty Copeland, right? Mm -hmm. You know, she was someone that came out and she's one of the best dancers out there. And she had to kind of prove to people like, I can be strong. I don't have to be stick thin to be a beautiful dancer. And I think as we begin, like we have the ability to change that perspective. But we have to not allow ourselves to fall into that trap of, well, I'm not going to be judged well purely because of my look. So what does my skill level matter? I might as well work on just restricting my food so that I can be as skinny as possible. And that's important. I mean, there's there's a new TV show out right now um, that's about the ballroom world and ballroom students. And there's, there's a dancer on the show that she talks a lot about being judged lower because of her aesthetic. And mm -hmm. it's a big key point for her. And she's very competitive. And, you know, it's it's heartbreaking for her to feel that way. But one thing I always say, and you know, I've, I've felt that I've experienced that, but for me, I have gotten to a point where I say, I am always going to just be the best dancer I can be. And my body will do what my body needs to do. And mm -hmm. I will give my body the food it needs, the fuel it needs to do its best to look the way it looks. I might explore some different cross training. That's another thing that sometimes we can look at. For example, you know, for me, I for a while looked at certain cross training that was more strength-based. Mm -hmm. And with my body type, I bulked up. And that's not the look I wanted as a dancer. And that's my preference. I just didn't want that look. Other people may. And so I changed some of my training. I did in, for ballroom. I did gyrotonics. I did maybe ballet cross training. I did things that were going to train my muscles in longer, leaner ways. Mm -hmm. And that, without shifting my weight, shifted my visual structure. And so the number on the scale is not that defining factor. And neither is our body type. As long as we're giving our body what it needs to perform the best that we can, then our bodies are going to be who our bodies are. And people are, to be frank, are going to have to get over it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because actually just the other day, there was a thread on Facebook in a group that I'm in that's all adult dancers who oh. do West Coast Swing. Yeah. And they were talking about this idea of body type and the people who seem to be successful in the dance based off of placements and where they are sort of ranking wise versus sort of the average person who's out there dancing and some of the conversation that was going through that. And it was sort of nice to see a shift in some of the discussion because this topic has come up before. Mm -hmm. It's less of, well, it's just what it is and you're going to have to deal with it. And if you're a bigger person, then oh, well, too bad, to now going, but there are people that we see who are successful in this dance and let's look for some examples and let's, you know, and and really having more of a discussion about it instead of just going, too bad, it just is the yeah. way it is. So I'm happy that even in a short time, I've seen a little shift in how those conversations are happening. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that that for me, you know, I appreciate when I'm at a competition and I see someone in a bigger body win over someone in a smaller body. Mm -hmm. Just because to me that shows that judges are really looking at the dancing. Yeah. Because, you know, like I said, should we take care of our bodies? Absolutely. But if our body is built bigger, that should not decrease our value in our sport, in our activity. It's It just shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Definitely. What is something that you've seen maybe as like a common myth or misunderstanding when it comes to diet and nutrition for dancers? There's a lot, <laughs> but I would say some of the biggest things that I see is that, you know, we shouldn't eat 
when we're dancing. I think that it tends to come back to that is, you know, I can eat after I'm done dancing or I can eat something small in the morning, but during the day, like, no. Or maybe I can only eat a salad while I'm dancing or training. I can only eat vegetables. This concept of that we need to restrict ourselves while we're training I think is probably one of the biggest things of like, you know, I don't want to eat that handful of trail mix because it's going to be visible in my body. It's, it's not, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, if you have a food sensitivity and you get significantly bloated, things like that, that's a different story. That's a different conversation we need to have. But a lot of the time kind of going back to that previous conversation we had is if you fuel your body more consistently throughout the day, you're not going to be like gaining weight. You're just going to be fueling your body for what you need. And then your body can work efficiently through that process, use the fuel it needs, get rid of what it doesn't. And so in general, I think dancers understanding that taking those snack breaks when they're provided is not something to just take the time to go and chat with your friends and maybe have a sip of water. <laughs> But it's actually there for a reason that you need to fuel your body. And, you know, I think another thing that comes up, and this is in the dance world, but in the world in general, is carbohydrates mm -hmm. <laughs> demonized. Yes. And a lot of the time there's this thought process of, oh, well, I can't eat carbs because, you know, carbs are not going to do me any good as a dancer. In fact, carbs are going to be one of your most important nutrients as a dancer. So that's something that I think is also important to realize is carbs are your immediate energy for your body. So if you're having a snack, if you're having a meal and you're cutting that carbohydrate source out, you're actually going to slow down your body's ability to gain energy from that meal and utilize it toward your dancing. So I think that that's another big one that is important mm -hmm. for people to know. Mm-hmm thinking of so we already kind of talked about like maybe a typical dance day versus a dance day where you're really pushing yourself are there any differences in again general recommendations maybe for a dancer who is recovering from an injury mm -hmm. versus just kind of doing their normal day-to-day -day thing so that can be really challenging, especially depending on the length of time you're out. When you're out for a couple of weeks, it's one thing, but when you're out for months, it can really mess with your mind and your body. And so one thing that I think is really important to know is when we're not dancing, if we're out with an injury specifically, is while we may need to slightly adjust our intake because we're not being active, we still need significant fuel because that injury requires fuel to heal. So for example, especially I see this a lot if dancers or individuals when they're injured are um, more toward that like vegan vegetarian diet mm -hmm. is a lot of people struggle to get enough protein. Protein is super important for muscle recovery, for injury recovery. We need our other food groups to help utilize that protein appropriately, but making sure we're getting protein while we're trying to recover and we're still eating our meals, we're still eating our snacks as needed um, is really necessary because our body needs fuel to recover. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the time we think, well, we're not moving, we have so much less needs. You might have a little bit less needs if you're going from a seven hour day of dancing to not dancing and just recovery, but you still have more needs than just maybe your average day-to-day -day person sitting at home because your body really needs to take that fuel and be able to recover. So I think that that's an important thing that dancers, I think, start to get stressed where they say, well, I'm not moving, I'm not doing anything, I need to like really cut down my food significantly. And what happens is then that prolongs recovery. And now you're out even longer. So it's kind of shooting yourself in the foot. And so I think that that's something we're really remembering, staying in that cycle of proper fueling, and good timed meals and snacks, maybe you can go more toward that every five hour-ish range versus the every three hour range, but you still want to have those meals and snacks present. Mm -hmm. 
that's definitely something that I see come up a lot. And especially because I have background in doing wound care, that right. protein piece was always such a sticking point where we really had to provide that education of you need a little bit more probably than what you were getting because that's what your body is pulling from to help knit things back together and heal tissue and all of that. So yeah, definitely important detail. Again, always going back to this idea of this is a general recommendation, not something specific for people who are listening to this, but is there anything like a minimum recommended number of calories or kind of balance of some of the different nutrients that people should at least use as a, a guideline to help them move in the right direction if they're really just not sure what they should be doing when it comes to food? That's a good, it's a good question. And I, I almost am hesitant to put a number on it because I have had experiences where I have maybe put a number and said, well, this is the minimum. And people are like, great, I'll get the minimum. And that's not necessarily how I want it to work. Um, general like baseline recommendations for humans, not dancers, but humans, is noting that the average person, especially female, needs at least 1,200 calories a day just to live and breathe. <laughs> and, you know, for men, I tend to shift that up to around 1,500 calories a day. The research kind of jumps around on those numbers, but, but that's what I've seen most consistently. And so, when people tell me they're cutting down to 1200 calories a day, I get a red flag. You know, I'm like, well, especially if you're dancing, 1200 calories is not going to sustain you. So think about, you know, you're going to be putting yourself at risk for greater injury and, you know, you're going to end up working with your PT and they're going to be like, man, you got to you got to figure something out because we're trying to do everything we can on a physiological side, but your body's not healing the way it needs to, or it's not working the way it needs to. And sometimes we're missing that fuel component. So knowing that, you know, that if you're at 1200 calories a day, especially as an adult, you're probably too low. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, you know, anything lower, has to be medically monitored if you're going to be on something lower than that. And that's not something that's recommended for dancers. Those are in very specific scenarios where someone would be on a very low caloric diet. And that has to be like in a monitored program setting, which, you know, is not a long-term thing. So mm -hmm. calorie wise for any human, I say, don't even look below that 1200 calorie range. But for dancers, we're probably going to be higher. Like 1500 calories might look low to a dancer. Mm -hmm. You know, some dancers might need 2000, some might need 3500, depending on how much, you know, those numbers can, yeah. can be a lot higher than you think they are based on your training and based on your own personal metabolism. Now, as far as carbohydrates, protein, you know, generally when we're looking at protein intake, we look at a baseline calculation. The average person needs about 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram body weight. Now that's baseline. Mm -hmm. If you're working hard, you're training hard, that can go up to one gram per kilogram body weight. That can go up to even 1.2, 1.4 sometimes, you know, so our protein intakes can also go up. When I look at fat and I look at carbohydrates, fat specifically, the biggest thing I'm looking for, I wouldn't even necessarily look at a number, but I would look at making sure, you know, if you are looking at a food label, are polyunsaturated and are monounsaturated fats, because fats are in these different categories, are the ones we're getting more of. Whereas our saturated fats are important, we still need them, but that may not be where we want all our fat to come from. So if all we're eating are, you know, French fries and pizza and big steaks and things like that, you know, our fat intake might not be coming from the best place for the majority of our fat. And we may want to shift some of those things to include nuts, seeds, you know, fish, lean cuts of protein, things like that. Mm -hmm. so that's kind of what I would suggest in regard to fat. 
as far as carbohydrates go, barring days when we're competing and we're trying to feel, you know, not bloated, not uncomfortable, I generally say looking for your higher fiber carbohydrates, looking for your whole grains, looking for your fruits, your starchy vegetables, things like that to use as your carbohydrate sources. And, you know, and then if you want even more kind of generic, if you're looking at your plate for a meal, I like to say, okay, a quarter of my plate is my protein, a quarter of my plate is my carbohydrate, and then I have some veggies on the rest of my plate and some fat mixed in there is kind of a very baseline visual that you can utilize um, when you're talking about your breakdown. You know, depending on who you talk to and who the individual is, they'll sometimes give you percentages like, you know, carbohydrates should be 40 to 60% of your intake. For dancers, I would range more towards 60%. Uh, proteins and fats, those can range. I generally say that protein is the next highest amount and fat is the next highest amount is generally the way I break down if I'm looking at percentage balance for out, throughout the day. Mm -hmm. One thing that I saw years ago when I was looking at some nutrition information too that I kind of liked the concept of was this idea of when you're thinking of fruits and veggies to also think of eating the rainbow. So you get a variety of colors in what you're eating because mm -hmm. the different foods have different micronutrients and things that can be beneficial. And so if you're eating the rainbow, you're kind of covering some of your bases. So yeah. I like that visual too. Absolutely. And so I think it's always nice, you know, I, if I catch myself having a very bland colored plate, a lot of the time, sometimes I'm like, okay, let's add some different colors in here. And I think it's, it's good because those different colors, like you said, are different micronutrients. Those micronutrients are what is producing that different color. And so those things are great. And in our eating habits in general, variety is super important. So just like with working out and training, if you do the same exact thing over and over again, your body kind of becomes a little less responsive to it. And so when it comes to nutrition, it's kind of the same where maybe not like the, if you're breaking it down to carb, protein, fat, that may not be that different, but what we're getting that nutrient breakdown from, you know, your body likes to have that switch up and it can continue to respond even more positively when we have variety. Like I've even seen clients who get a little stuck on what their goals are and, you know, we look at what they're eating and they're eating really well, but they're eating the exact same thing every single meal. Mm -hmm. And there's even nutrition plans where they tell you to do that, right? If you're looking yeah. for a personal trainer or things like that. And what happens is if I just do pull-ups, eventually pull-ups become less beneficial for me. Mm -hmm. Same thing as if I just eat chicken, rice, and vegetables for breakfast and lunch and dinner, <laughs> you know, it's, my body's not going to respond as well to it because our gut bacteria also need variety to function. And that's a whole nother rabbit hole that we can always mention if we want. But variety is going to keep our body feeling fresh, feeling efficient, feeling like it can do what it needs to do and continue to perform at its optimal. Mm -hmm. Thinking of some of the folks who might be listening to this episode right now who are not heavily educated in nutrition and dietetics and all of that, what are some things, if, like say I was working with a client, mm -hmm. what are some things that maybe could be little triggers for me to say, maybe I should refer this person on to somebody for more help in the uh, dietitian perspective? Absolutely. That's, that's a really good question because a lot of the time, you know, I've even talked to a lot of providers that are like, wait, what's a dietitian? You know? And yeah. A lot of the time we get confused, you know, dietitian, nutritionists, they're like, oh, you're just going to give me some hokey pokey advice and tell me to take a bunch of supplements. And so they're hesitant to refer out. When I would always say, make sure, number one, you are referring to a dietitian specifically, if at all possible, because those are the individuals that are going to have the training in the background, just the same way that you want a physical therapist rather than someone that's just maybe a trainer that doesn't have that same training when there's an injury um, or, you know, any of those other fields where you have to be specific. Obviously, there's people to be concerned about in every field, but 
you got to do the best you can when it comes to that. When you're an outside provider and you're trying to refer to a dietitian or you're trying to watch out for red flags, the things I would kind of look for is if you feel like someone is fatigued all the time, you know, they're really tired, they're maybe having issues with dizziness or, you know, at a bad point, you know, maybe they're passing out. Um, if they are having a lot of injuries, they're not recovering super well from those injuries. Those are some red flags to kind of say, hmm, you know, maybe there's something going on nutritionally. There is also, you know, if you mention food at all and maybe they hesitate around food or they start to kind of guilt explain their food is kind of a way I would call it. Uh, I get this with a lot of clients where they're like, well, I know I shouldn't, but I, you know, those kinds of Mm -hmm. talking methods. I think those are all important reasons to refer out. Also, you know, even on a less eating disorder, disordered eating side of things, you know, if a dancer feels not great in their body, you know, maybe even looking for someone that is sports and nutrition connected or dancer specific dietitian that understands the world and is, you know, I always say is open to different body types, but is also open to helping people feel good in their body. Mm -hmm. And then the side of intolerances too, if they're having like, man, my stomach just hurts all the time, or, you know, I don't feel good when I'm dancing and I feel like, you know, stuff sitting in my chest or, you know, and I feel like I just can't do what I need to do. Those are all things that if you hear those types of statements, I would generally say, hey, red flag, I, I think you might want to go and talk to a dietitian. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think those are all great things to keep in the back of our minds while we're working with patients or clients or whatever terminology we use as providers. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, even thinking if we're asking questions about menstrual cycles or things like that, if they're not having regular periods or periods at all, or, you know, some of those kinds of things can definitely be an indicator for us too. Um, but yeah, I think, I think, all of us who are working with, you know, since we're on dance med spotlight and we're talking about working with dancers, when we're working with our dancers, we need to be aware of some of these things, even if as a physical therapist, I'm maybe not asking like, what do your meals look like and that sort of thing, but hearing how they're talking about things mm -hmm. um, and seeing if they could maybe use some additional support. And I know particularly really thinking in the ballet world, but just in general, a lot of folks tend to be maybe hypermobile and certain types of hypermobility can tend to have more GI issues and things like that. So making sure that they're supported if we know that that's a diagnosis that they have. Absolutely. And I think that that's really important to know is, you know, as a dietitian, as a physical therapist, as a dance medicine professional in general, we need to be aware, I think, on all different ends of where we can refer and where we can work together because, you know, a lot of the time we're not in a clinic of providers, right? You know, a lot of the time people have to reach out to each of us separately and understanding that if you're the primary person they've reached out to, it's a responsibility that we need to take to be able to say, okay, I know when I need to send someone to a PT, or I need to send someone to a dance-focused physician, or, you know, I need to send them to a dietitian, things like that, I think are really important to be aware of because that I feel like, especially in the dance world, we have that extra responsibility to understand dancers mm -hmm. and to know that a lot of these problems are not just a single problem issue. Yeah. At this point, I want to introduce a special segment that we have on every episode. So we have the final bow. This is your opportunity to sort of leave your parting words for the audience. If they walk away with nothing else 
what message do you want them to take away? I would say the main message that I want people to take away is twofold. I would say as a provider, really watching out for all of the things that are important signs that you might need to refer to a dietitian if someone seems like they're really not functioning the way that their body needs to function, performing the way they need to perform, they're getting more injured, things like that, making sure that, you know, a dietitian is a really great resource for those individuals, as well as, you know, for dancers, for dance teachers, and for other dance medical professionals, understanding that nutrition is so important for dancers to be successful, and that aesthetic is under performance. And so, you know, we need to be able to perform at our best. And in order to do that, we need to be able to appropriately fuel our body consistently throughout the course of the day. So if you feel like a dancer is not experiencing that, or they're not performing at their best, or there's concerns in terms of aesthetics, that that's also a really appropriate time to make sure that those individuals go and speak with a dietitian that can really help them be as successful as possible in their dance career. Mm -hmm. Great advice. Last thing, this is your opportunity for your shameless plug. Anything that you are doing, working on, want to promote for yourself, um, this is your chance. Awesome. So I am seeing clients virtually in any state that I'm legally allowed to. And so as dietitians, we do have state licensure laws. So, you know, I always say if you're unsure, still reach out to me and I'm always happy to look and see, you know, if I can help you and support you as a dietitian with your dancing, with your performance, with, you know, feeling good in your body, with gut health, any of those things, those are all things that I can do and I can do them from the comfort of your own home. And so that's, I think, something really important. I'm also here that I can do, you know, I can go into a dance studio and I can do a lecture. I can do even a virtual lecture for dance studios to really understand the importance of nutrition as well as seeing our bodies in a healthy light. And so, you know, those are all things I'm available for in terms of just identifying states that I can for sure guarantee I'm good in. You know, I'm licensed in Minnesota. I can practice in Colorado, Arizona, California, Texas, as well as many other states out there. So, you know, definitely reach out to me. My website is dancesportdietitian.com. And dietitian is spelt with a T. I'm sure we'll have that written in there somewhere. Yes. And then you can always check me out on social media, check me out anywhere else. See, I like to share a little bit about my personal life and who I am. So if you follow my social media, it's not just going to be business and selling you things. It's really going to be focused on, you know, seeing who I am and why I love to do what I love to do. Awesome. Yeah. We'll make sure that in show notes and everywhere, we share all of the ways to connect with you and find you if people want to work with you or ask you more. Thanks so much for being a guest today, Ricky. And I appreciate all of the fantastic information that you were able to share with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Dance Med Spotlight is hosted and produced by Alyssa Arms. We discuss all things dance medicine. This has been another episode from Dance Med Spotlight. The Dance Met Spotlight is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present.